Well, let's think about that visitation as we send the angel Gabriel from heaven to you. Richer and the poor, poorer. 
One story in the news this week of how someone in public office has amassed millions of pounds profit on the back of the COVID pandemic has made my blood boil. And I wonder how much good they've woven into the lives of others rather than filling their own pockets. There seems to be a decline in moral standards which seems to be more evident in a cost of living crisis when we see the poverty gap more clearly. Well, the stories of Tamar and Mary are real home human stories, but with God's invisible hand seen by those with eyes to see. Tamar's story takes place in a time of real moral decline in society, where, as one commentator describes it, it emphasises the steep moral decline in the chosen family, which only the outstanding piety of Joseph will arrest for a while. He's referring, of course, to the promise of the, the descendants of Abraham being as many as the stars of the sky and about how that was the chosen family of God. It's a story in which Tamar appears to deceive Judah, but one needs to see the whole picture, the whole story to get the true picture. A look at the family tree can help. Jacob is Jacob's fourthborn son. Judah has become the most important son in terms of genealogy, following the moral decline of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And Judah marries an unnamed Canaanite woman, and they have three sons. Judah gives Er, Tamar, as his wife. But the scriptures say that Er did evil and was put to death. You might say he erred. <laughs> Not terrible. Not and so due to the leveret marriage laws at the time, the second son would take the first son's wife. But Onan didn't honour this and he too met an early death. You might ask, is this just going to keep going on and on? No. Next in line would be Sheila. Tamar ought to have been married onto Shema, but Judah began to think there was a curse on Tamar. Why do women always get the blame? <laughs> and so while she was promised in marriage to Shema, she was never married to him. Judah making the excuse that Shema was too young and they would need to wait until he was grown up. Tamar was trapped promised in marriage, but remaining a widow, and therefore unsupported physically, financially, emotionally. Judah failed to do right by Tamar. When I first read this, I thought, well, he just forgot about her, put her out of his mind. But no, I think he knew all along, but he was so crippled by the fear of losing his third son and heir that he deliberately chose to neglect his duty under the law. He allowed the fear to overtake him despite his ancestry in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their faith in the great I Am. And he therefore condemned Tamar to live as a widow 
with no income or inheritance of her own. As a result of Judah's failure to do the right thing, powerless Tamar felt compelled to take matters into her own hands. Now let's assume that she prayed, lamented about it long and hard first. She couldn't sit around any longer, forlornly hoping that Judah would face his fear, take a risk and do as he should. <coughs> it was time for action, so she decided she would give herself in order to force his hand. I suppose there are times when one has to act, and this was one such time, and she must have been desperate to end up doing what she did. But was what she did blackmail? To keep Judas' signet, his cord and staff as undisputable evidence for the day when proof would be needed. In a mis misogynist culture, it was the men who decided the fate of women who had found themselves working in the sex industry. <coughs> well, was there such a thing? I'm sure there was. And yes, by all accounts, as much then as now. And Judah's male-dominated interpretation of the law of Moses suggested that the punishment for Tamar was to be death by burning. And surely that reading of Leviticus would be challenged as much then as it would be today, especially if women had equal voice. Without even a hint of concession to family loyalty, Judah pronounces the death sentence on his own daughter-in-law. Unbeknown to him that his hypocrisy is about to be unveiled. And I can't help think that there's a deliberate play on words here with Tamar's removing the veil of prostitution to become a widow again, with Judas' hypocrisy being unveiled and the truth prevailing. When Judah is confronted with the physical evidence of his own signet, cord and staff, he realises that he's not only abused Tamar, but he's failed her in so many ways. She is more in the right than I am, since I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not lie with her again, says the last verse in Genesis that was read. And actually, it's easy to gloss over that. What, he did not lie with her again? It's a small detail thrown in at the end of the story. Has Judah kept Tamar a slave to satisfy his own craving? as if it wasn't bad enough. And yet, it's this family through whom the Christ comes. No wonder the Gospel is one of grace and truth, wonderful grace and truth. Tamar bears twin sons, with Perez, the heir of the promise, after all, named in both Matthew and Luke's accounts of the genealogy of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth which leads us on into the other birth story of a virgin conceiving a son via miraculous means. The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Astonished and bewildered, Mary brightly asks, how is any of this even possible? To which she is told, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And as evidence of or proof that such miraculous things can happen, the angel tells Mary of Elizabeth, who in her old age has conceived, for nothing will be impossible with God. To which we are all invited to say with Mary, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I want to finish just with a short reflection on the story of Tamar. Listen to this. Tamar, sent away with a half-hearted promise, a token gesture, scraps from the table, like countless women who are forced to settle for less than is their due, or who are forced to compromise their dreams because those who hold power are threatened by their potential. Who are the ones that we dismiss, deeming them less than, fobbing them off with what costs us nothing? And how have we deceived ourselves that our token gestures are enough? As we anticipate the light that came into the world, may we create puddles of light through which others may tread, and may our sharing reflect the extravagant giving of God. Amen. Let's sing together, She Sits Like a Bird. And would somebody like to update the slides, John? You